I think that's one of the most important trends we're going to continue to see uh, as, um, you know, more health systems are investing money and time into this sector. And there's an influx of new and planned behavioral health hospital and clinic development across the country um, happening right now. And it's only going to increase. Um, as you're aware, there's a rising need of behavioral health pre-pandemic, um, but now it's even more amplified. Um, I think I saw like CDC release data, you know, that was saying uh, like over 40% of Americans uh, were dealing with mental health or substance abuse issues specifically related to pandemic. So, um, you know, I think just more and more focus is going to be um, centered upon behavioral health care and it's going to be, um, you know, uh, around the virtual and physical health settings. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Today's podcast episode is with Jamie Northam, Vice President of Healthcare Development at Ryan Companies. Jamie shares how she is seeing healthcare systems design with the future and adaptability in mind with regard to their spaces. She discusses trends she is seeing in healthcare development to include focusing on the continuum of care, centers of excellence, integrating telehealth, and an increase in concentration of behavioral health. Please enjoy the interview. Jamie, welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So a while back, I had interviewed your colleague, Anne Sebulka, so the listeners have heard the whole story behind Ryan. I really wanted to delve into your career in the space, how you came to Ryan, and um, and just talk about your background. So do you want to share your background with the audience? Sure, absolutely. So so I've been in commercial real estate for, gosh, about 22 years now, and I would say half of that's been in, uh, specifically in, in healthcare real estate. Most of the time um, that I have been in uh, healthcare real estate, it's been with um, Healthcare Trust of America, senior vice president. And as you know, they're one of the largest medical office REITs in the country. Um, I have experience in most sides of the healthcare real estate industry, including leasing, asset management, development, acquisitions, and dispositions. And during my time in this industry sector, I've also worked across um, 35 markets in the U.S. And how I came to Ryan, um, you know, I think it, it was fortuitous. I've, you know, be, being in the commercial real estate industry for as long as I have, um, I've often have run parallel paths with Ryan and have interacted with various team members over the years and have always held them in very high regard. To me, they were always, you know, cream of the crop as far as development goes. And um, I always had the utmost respect for, for them as a company and, um, you know, for, for the various team members working at Ryan. So um, I had had, you know, development experience um, prior to getting into healthcare real estate. And I had, I always had a passion for it. I love 
I love the creativity that's involved with it and, um, you know, putting the entire deal together. Um, and I did a little bit of it when I was at Healthcare Trust of America. So that just fueled my, my passion for development. So um, there was an opportunity with Ryan. They were really looking to expand their healthcare team. And, um, and it was just, it was perfect timing. It was right around the time of the pandemic. So it was a good time to, to make a switch. Well, you said that half of your um, commercial real estate career has been in healthcare real estate. So what attracted you to move over to specifically focus on that? Well, you know, prior to when I got into healthcare real estate, I was doing industrial brokerage um, and, you know, that, that was great. And, you know, there was, it was booming, um, you know, it was around the time of you know, 2005 to 2008 was uh, kind of like it is now, you know, um, developers and investors were coming from all over the, the country to develop here, um, building million square foot stuff buildings. And it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. And of course, um, you know, there was a big market uh, crash around um, 2000, 2009, um, where a lot of um, development and um, yeah, real estate in, in general just, just came to a standstill especially in this market. And at the time I was working for a developer, I was working with, uh, with the Alta Group out of Chicago. And um, as I evaluated, you know, next steps and, you know, what, where is the opportunity gonna be? Um, where is there gonna be some stability? Where, where am I gonna see some activity? As I was contemplating a career change, um, really it was, on the, it was on the investment side. Obviously there was a lot of um, assets that were, turning hands. Um, and, and two, it was on the healthcare side, you know, it was about the time frame of the Affordable Care Act and um, all the changes that were coming as a result of that. Um, and then you had, you know, a lot of activity from even uh, Stark, Stark regulations and hospitals looking to, um, to sell, to, to sell their assets and um, kind of get out of the, the real estate game. So tremendous opportunity. And at um, Healthcare Trust of America in 2010, which is when I started there, you know, they were a really young REIT at the time and they were headquartered in Scottsdale and they were um, growing tremendously. So um, we crossed paths and that's how I, I ended up there. And, you know, I think um, on top of that too, you know, I've, I've always had a passion for, for healthcare. Uh, I almost became uh, a doctor or went that path. Um, so it was very fortuitous, um, you know, kind of blending my two passions. So once I got into it, there was no turning back. <laughs> so what, what prevented you from going, continuing your path in, in actual medicine? Well, my, my father was a real estate attorney. So I always, you know, had um, exposure to that and was very familiar with it. I helped them out a lot. You never, as long as I can remember, you know, on my, days off school or six days I was in the office working with him. So, um, you know, I, I loved it and I loved the idea of kind of continuing in his, in his footsteps. So I think, you know, if, if that hadn't been the case, you know, I think I would have definitely, um, end up, ended up pursuing it. I, I, um, I almost took a, a, a change when I was in college and, um, decided to, you know, and, and go into medicine, but um, I, I had a couple opportunities to stay in that real estate sector, and um, ultimately, that's what I did. So we'll, we'll get back to the interview, but I, I 
I thought that was interesting. Um, <laughs> sure. What, how has the transition been coming from a publicly traded REIT to a developer? In yeah, very, um, very different. Yes, very, very different. Um, you know, working with a REIT, it's, it's what I would consider to be a, you know, a sprint, you know, a sprint and, and a marathon at the same time. But, um, you know, you're, you're working with um, a high volume of, of transactions and oversight of properties, you know, all over the country. And, you know, they're really measured on a, on a quarterly basis. So, you know, you're always working towards, you know, these, these quarterly goals and, um, and it's exciting. I, you know, I, I did love it. It, you know, I, I love the excitement uh, and the challenge that that brought. Um, stepping away from that and getting into development, it's, it's, it's more of a, more of a marathon, <laughs> you know, the entire development process um, from conceptual, from concept to, you know, delivery and beyond it's, it's, it takes years, right? So it's a lot of cultivating of relationships and um, a lot of pivots and um, problem solving. So you're not seeing, you know, that daily grind, like that daily high volume transaction um, uh, volume that you see with working with a REIT, but it's just, just a different kind of busy, you know? So, um, you know, and, and Ryan, they're, they're a private company. So they also, I think, you know, one also differentiator is, you know, the fact that they're so flexible with how they approach deals, how they can look at deals, um, how they can, how they can work with clients. Well, and so you, you came on to expand um, the healthcare development. So what has been some of the initiatives that you've pursued and, uh, you know, kind of what is, what is your strategy for your next three to five years at that Ryan? So, you know, I think um, as, as far as, you know, strategy, it's a lot of, um, a lot of relationship um, focus and, you know, Ryan, they've, um, they've been developing healthcare real estate for quite some time now. And especially in the Midwest where we're headquartered um, and in the, in the Southeast, but, you know, with, we really haven't done too much in the Western U.S. Um, it's been a little bit more opportunistic. And so uh, we really wanted to, to elevate that. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing. And so it's really understanding these markets, understanding what the, the health systems are doing, what the provider groups are doing, um, and, you know, getting, having these conversations, you know, what are their needs, looking at the overall strategy behind the health systems, you know, their short-term goals or long-term goals, um, and, and helping dive into that with them. And, um, and just, you know, getting it out there, who, who we are, you know, I think one of the unique features of Ryan is the fact that we are a fully integrated um, platform and we offer all service lines um, from, from strategic planning to development, construction, design, property management, capital markets, and acquisitions. And um, we can really lend a, you know, holistic and, and broad perspective uh, when we're working with clients um, from the get-go. So it's, it's been, um, it's been great so far. It's, there's a tremendous amount of activity out there um, in, in multiple markets. You know, I would see, I, I would say that, you know, the, there's, I would say like, you know, five key trends that um, 
that I'm seeing and we're seeing across the country. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to kind of track those as closely as possible and follow um, the paths of, of these various um, trend setting, you know, uses that were, um, that are coming about. So, you know, first are, you know, the product types, you know, that we're seeing a lot of ambulatory um, outpatient clinics, surgery centers, centers of excellence, specialty clinics, and patient rehabilitation facilities. You know, those are going to maybe continue to be the fastest growing product types of healthcare. Um, a lot of that is, is, is fueled by the desire for better community access to care, shifting certain care services away from the hospital setting, reserving the higher acuity care for the hospital. And uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of activity on campus as well, but those are mostly renovation and expansion projects as the hospital looks to make the space more functional, efficient, and versatile for the higher acuity care services. Um, and then secondly, I would say we're seeing a lot of increased activity from physicians and provider groups, as you probably can attest to. Um, more ground up development opportunities are being stirred up by physician and provider groups. This is a result of you know, independent, groups, independent groups growing and expanding, and, as well as hospital-affiliated physician groups doing the same. Um, these physician groups and provider groups are often leveraging new capital sources under increased revenue streams. Um, or you know, sometimes that's a result of changing reimbursements, new allowances of, by Medicare of certain procedures and surgeries in an outpatient setting. Um, and, and even, you know, the relaxing of certificate of need laws in many states and a lot of um, activity stirred up, stirred up by that. Just a few more trends, because yeah. it relates to, you know, our overall approach on in these markets. Um, the other is, you know, the health system strategies are becoming more and more centered around the full continuum of care model. So um, all the way from, you know, preventative health and wellness to clinical care, acute and post-acute care and rapid improvements in medical technology and more accessible virtual care and telehealth will continue to bolster those efforts in this regard. So that, of course, is feeling additional um, redevelopment and uh, development opportunities. Um, yeah. And then I would say fourth and, and, and probably last, um, as far as really notable trends we're seeing is behavioral health. Um, I think that's one of the most important trends we're going to continue to see uh, as, um, you know, more health systems are investing money and time into this sector. And there's an influx of new and planned behavioral health hospital and clinic development across the country um, happening right now. And it's only going to increase. Um, as you're aware, there's a rising need of behavioral health pre-pandemic, um, but now it's even more amplified. Um, I think I saw like CDC release data, you know, that was saying uh, like over 40% of Americans uh, were dealing with mental health or substance abuse issues specifically related to pandemic. So, um, you know, I think just more and more focus is going to be um, centered upon behavioral health care and it's going to be, um, you know, uh, around the virtual and physical health settings. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I'll turn it back over to you. I've been doing a lot of talking. No, so. you know, that's great. I was, I had like three questions, but uh, so, so sure. with regard to behavioral health, you know, I, I found it interesting that, um, you know, I, I think I have passed a handful of new behavioral health hospitals um, just in, you know, my 
my driving around um, the Phoenix area. And what I like about them is that they're not like far into like they're not far and in, into these like far away places. They're actually inside of neighborhoods so that you know the family can continue to interact with them. I'm assuming it's one of the reasons mm -hmm. that that they're located there. Um, because the last thing you want is if somebody is dealing with a mental health issue is to have them feel more isolated. So I, I think that that's right. you know they're integrating it into um, the community. Um, so do you, I mean, are, um, we'll get into, I want to talk to you a little bit about the pandemic, but I want to kind of comment on a couple of things you sure. said. Um, are you seeing, what are you seeing or what is your take on the non, like you said there's a lot of renovations in the hospital. So mm -hmm. as hospitals find themselves no longer functional for how yeah. they want to deliver medicine efficiently um, or, you know, things are just sort of dated. Are you seeing hospitals wanting to make changes in that regard as well as like some clinics are really old? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, I would say it's all across the board seeing, um, seeing changes and renovations to the hospital and patient rooms, the patient rooms, the ER, the e, um, emergency room renovation expansions are really, really um, active right now, um, seeing a lot of them. Um, and it's, you know, I think the pandemic shed a lot of light on the deficiencies of, of how care is delivered in the hospital setting and the need for it to be more flexible, um, flexible and, you know, be able to accommodate varying levels of acuity. Um, and then, and then even, you know, bringing on the, or bringing in the whole virtual health variable too, you know, that's obviously something that they're thinking about more and how they can leverage that um, in the inpatient setting as well. So, you know, making um, more space for that, for, you know, these telehealth visits and even um, the concept of virtual waiting rooms and triage, um, you know, and then I think another another focus uh, that I've seen, as well as you know the better infection control and better ventilation. So a lot of upgrades to the MEP systems um, within 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 the hospital setting and and the clinical setting too. Absolutely, and I mean I think I think you're right with um, you know the volume of people that they had to triage through the emergency room through the pandemic. I think they kind of uh, learned a lot. How, how they need to be set mm -hmm. up in order to efficiently triage the most critical from less critical and, you know, and be able to treat them. Um, so, Absolutely. you know, I get the, the question a lot where people are like, you know, how, how has the pandemic affected um, healthcare real estate? And I say it, it had the, a blip just like everybody else, but it, it really came back because it, it's needed. I mean, you can't, you know, the healthcare facilities aren't gonna shut down. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, the, the tenants have to be there. Has the pandemic affected anything that you guys do? Maybe other than obviously construction costs and labor costs right now that you're having to manage, but as far as, um, has anything changed, has any requirements changed from, um, that are, you could say are specifically pandemic related in as far as how healthcare systems are developing projects or is it 
maybe just some changes in the way that they structure the space, but is there any size difference or, you know, is there height differences or anything like that? Um, you know, in the healthcare specific space, I would say the life sciences space, you know, yes, but if I'm focusing just on the healthcare, the healthcare space, um, I think it's still evolving. Um, and, you know, and, and changing, it's definitely part of the conversation now is how, um, how can, you know, especially when, when they're building uh, new spaces or redeveloping, um, it's how can we make these spaces most flexible and to, to be able to um, accommodate their current needs and then any future needs as they grow and change or um, adapt their strategy. There's still so much in flux right now with what that strategy looks like on a short-term basis, on a long-term basis. So there's a lot of conversation about it, but I wouldn't necessarily say there's one, or, you know, a couple like very specific things um, that we're seeing right now. I would say it's just more, um, all, it's just all about flexibility. Um, that's just so much, imp so important, um, not only on the, the design side and the real estate side, but also the deal structure side, you know, having that um, flexibility with, you know, being able to pivot and, you know, um, and be able to, to incorporate, you know, different uh, needs in the future with, with health systems and, and provider groups too. So like they do, hey, this is our plan A, but if this doesn't work or we need to use it for something else, we need to have something in mind for what it would, it's going to be absorbed into yeah, sort of. Yeah, so Yes. So, um, you know, with, with, we see a lot of it in the design. So, and so accommodating, you know, the, the design. So it's um, certain spaces can, can be used for, you know, exam rooms or um, it can convert into, you know, position office or some other need. So it's not just defined, one defined space. And, and, and same with the, the flow of the space um, and, and where nurses are and where the, where the providers are. Um, it's, it's just very flexible and, and um, also more of a, I would say like an open, an open layout, open format. Um, so you can so see yeah. more of the so, yeah, patient that's, activity that's going on. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I had, I, interestingly, I was, you know, I was in a, um, hospital recently with my mom um, at Mayo Clinic and we were in the the uh, PCU which is one step down from the ICU and I was talking with a nurse there um, who she's a traveling ICU nurse and you know this is during the and the height of during the height of the pandemic so you could just see in her eyes how exhausted <laughs> she was but she was talking about how um, how it's actually been you know frustrating at times when they're not, um, you know, some, some hospitals are better than others, but um, when she's seen certain hospitals um, across the country, you know, they don't really, they don't really have a conversation with their staff or really leverage their staff and their experiences and caring for the patients in when they're thinking about the design of the space. And in one instance, there was a brand new um, ICU that was, that was constructed and, beautiful, beautiful space. Um, however, it was, it ended up not being very functional at all because they 
did not have their patients, any patients in their line of sight. And um, if they were in a room caring for a patient and, you know, one of them coded, they didn't have, they couldn't easily yell out to, you know, one of the other nurses for help um, because they weren't in, you know, a direct line of sight. So it's those little things that, um, you know, they're just, I think, you know, it's more and more important that a lot of thoughts put into that. And um, again, I think the, the pandemic really shined a light, a, a light on that, right? Like, because there was a lot yeah. of, uh, a, a lot of chaos and, um, and constantly having to, you know, to, you know, to, to, to rethink of, you know, how you're going to deliver this care. Yeah, I think the nurses are a great resource because they're the first line of defense and they have to coordinate everybody else. So seeing how, you know, getting their input and how they can manage many patients at the same time, I think would be key. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, Jamie, we're going to um, move into the Q&A part of the interview. Okay. So we'll get to know you a little bit. What was your first job? Okay, so... I think that was in high school. My first real job um, was in high school, and it was I was a legal assistant with Snell and Wilmer, which is at the time it was the largest law firm in Arizona. And I I worked for ten different attorneys um, across all different industries. So I, I think I had um, a patent attorney and a real estate attorney, a uh, litigation attorney. So it was it was. A great experience. I loved it. Um, never a dull moment. Um, but um, it it, it uh, gave me some some good perspective. <laughs> I see you didn't go into law. <laughs> I didn't, and maybe that's why. <laughs> what would you be doing for a living if you did not have a health or real estate career? Uh, well, definitely, definitely medicine or uh, medical research of some sort. Um, yeah, ever since I was a little girl, as I mentioned before, I had always wanted to be a doctor of some sort, and um, and even even in my career, uh, even and even before I was in healthcare real estate, I was always you know involved in some sort of healthcare charity or research um, initiative because I just wanted to learn as much as I could about it, and I was always always fascinated by uh, by medicine and the science behind it. What are, who are you reading or listening to right now for news information or inspiration? Oh, let's see. Well, I mean, other than your podcast, right? <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> um, well, needless to say, I love reading health journals. So I do read my, my fair share of those. Um, and of course, healthcare real estate, the various healthcare real estate industry publications um, across multiple markets. Um, for other news, it's, it's a mixed bag. I would say it's um, a variety of different news sources and publications just trying to, um, you know, keep current on all the various events and issues, but trying to, to have multiple perspectives about it. <laughs> um, and for inspiration, I would say it, it varies on my mood, but I love, I love music and rely on listening to music a lot for inspiration. Uh, lately, it's been classical or jazz music that gives me what I need, but of course that can fluctuate. I also love a good uh, inspirational book or magazine. And lately, um, I've been finding inspiration in my three-year-old son's children books. <laughs> so I'm like, who knew? You know, I forgot about all those simple 
you know, yeah, powerful messages a lot of those books have. And, you know, I think we all need to be reminded of those from time to time, no matter how simple they are. So, um, so yeah, and, and, and enjoying that unexpectedly <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think they try to make them now to entertain both the parent and the child. Oh, a yeah. Little bit. <laughs> yeah, very, very smart of them to do that. <laughs> Especially when you what have to is, read them over and over again. Exactly, exactly. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Uh, definitely I uh, get exercise in. So about 30 to 60 minutes of exercise, preferably outdoors. Um, so when it's not 120 degrees outside, I usually will go out for a jog or um, a brisk walk um, at, least, at least once a day. Um, and then, you know, I would say just creating and cherishing all the sweet moments I get with my little toddler. Um, you know, we read, sing, and snuggle together before bedtime every night. And I would say that there is no medicine, exercise, or food that gives me the level of joy and endorphins I get from that. So, oh, and then, of course, after I put them down, I love relaxing via a good book or bath. So, got to have that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Uh, do you, do you think leaders are born or trained? Uh, that's a good question. I, I would say it's both and, um, and there's always room to grow. You know, I think it can be, you can be a born leader. Um, but just because you're a born leader doesn't mean that you can't get better. Um, and, and I think it's definitely something that, that you can learn, um, and continue to, to grow into. Yeah. I think it's something you always have to keep working on because things always change. Yeah. <laughs> always change. You have to be very adaptable and have that emotional IQ (laughs) that we all strive for. Well, Jamie, thank you. This has been a wonderful interview. Thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.